Welcome to the DigiSoc podcast. My name is David Geerts, and in this podcast I will be interviewing researchers from the KU Leuven Digital Society Institute about how their research contributes to a positive digital society. Today I am talking to Priscilla van Even. Priscilla is a human-computer interaction researcher at the Meaningful Interactions Lab, or MINTLAB, which is part of the Institute of Media Studies at the Faculty of Social Sciences at KU Leuven. She has an interdisciplinary background in cultural anthropology and development studies, philosophy and educational sciences. Currently, Priscilla is a PhD candidate in social sciences and critically reflects upon the contemporary science communication paradigm and the mediatization of science. Welcome, Priscilla. Thank you, David, for inviting me. Um, so let's let's start very briefly. Uh, to, if you could introduce a little bit about uh, what, what your research is about and how it contributes to a positive digital society, according to you. Okay, it's always challenging to do it in a, in a short manner, mm -hmm. but uh, I will do my best. So initially I started with the search for quality criteria to improve um, science dissemination. And with science dissemination, I refer to the communicating of um, research, science findings and results to the public. Mm -hmm. um, and this kind of evolved to looking more critically to the science communication paradigm. Um, and look where there are some blind spots and where there are some possible bridges to build. And I think um, the most important contribution uh, regarding um, a digital society would be that I look at phenomena like uh, misinformation and uh, polarization in society and see from the, the side of the science communicators um, how they could actually contribute to a more different climate. Yeah. Uh, when you talk about science communicators, who are those science communicators then? Are that the researchers uh, that do the research or is that someone else that is involved? Uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. So um, it's actually a very interesting field because it's not well defined. Um, and I try to define it by looking at who are actually science communicators. Mm -hmm. And I would call them science intermediaries. These are people who are trying to function between the, the scientific and the public realm. And these can be researchers, these can be academic students, it can be somebody, a media professional, a museum professional, but uh, for me, it uh, comes down to somebody who is trying to communicate some scientific foundings, uh, um, results to the public and make this translation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, good, we'll, we'll go it into a little bit more depth uh, later on the research okay. and, and then uh, learn more about the topic as well. But first, I would like to know why this topic? Why did you choose to um, yeah, study science communication? Well, the topic kind of found me. Um, <laughs> I work on the, the Parcos project. It's a Horizon 2020 EU-funded project. Mm -hmm. um, and it means participatory communication of science. And it... Um, tries to build a bridge between the public and the scientific realm by giving people more agency and empowerment um, in science communication so that they are not just passive receivers. And um, by working on the project, I had to study the, how, how mis misinformation functions, how you give people more agency and also 
made me a, a part of the, the scientific intermediary community. And uh, since I have a background in anthropology, it kind of resulted in also a study of the subculture and um, bringing these insights also into the, the story that I, I am bringing within Parcos. And then I translated it in my PhD research by showing this evolution from looking for quality criteria to improve the communication of science in the, the, the battle, as they call it, against uh, misinformation, mm -hmm. to looking how science intermediaries can actually um, contribute to this. Because often the focus is on what's wrong in the public realm, thinking, yeah, people, they are, are sharing misinformation. There's not enough questioning about why does this actually happen? There are a lot of presumptions. And um, I noticed that a lot of people with the best of intentions um, start focusing on, on the final result and not on like processes that contribute to it. And I think if science intermediaries are more reflective in their practice that they maybe can prevent some of these mechanisms that occur. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I hear you talk about quality criteria. Eh? You mentioned mm -hmm. it already twice, I think, uh, that that is like an, an important aspect of your research. So can you explain a little bit how you um, try to come uh, to these quality criteria? Well, what are these criteria and how, how does your research um, contribute to, to setting those up? Well, initially, we started uh, with a systematic review. So we looked um, into literature, what people have generated or, or marked as these are criteria to make the communication more um, of a higher quality. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we generated like 8,000 articles initially, and we slimmed it down to 87 or so uh, that were actually really uh, relevant for the search that we did. And then based on the search, we developed uh, a framework when we listed up all the criteria and clustered them. Now, that's also something I want to remark in my research. This is actually a very artificial way of working, of course, because you're combining things that people didn't initially mean to be combined. Mm -hmm. And to keep this into account, we developed um, like a playful card set that brings a bit more openness in this criteria and leaves room for new things that aren't uh, present there already to uh, explore what, what makes it better. But at this stage, we divided it in four dimensions. So criteria related to um, scientific foundations so that the scientific foundations are of a high quality. Um, communication related so that the communication is um, engaging by making it interactive and creative. Then there's a dimension on technology, because often um, people will have to use um, a, a digital uh, medium. For example, if, if you write a blog, a blog, you will have to put it on a website. Mm -hmm. So to take into account this is, that this also has an in, uh, effect and an effect on the story you are bringing, and to reflect upon whether it's it's necessary to do it like this. What other options could be? how you make sure that it is a supplement and not a barrier and uh, other criteria that are relevant. And then a fourth dimension is related to impact. And um, here we divide it into um, effect and effect indicators. So one that leads more to, to cause and effect and some that have to do more with like emotional reactions. Mm -hmm. And 
also because this is something we didn't uh, generate it through the systematic review think about okay we have now like a list of criteria but how do you prevent it from being used as propaganda because if you just say yeah if, if you make it more engaging if you make it more creative people will be more attracted that's very nice but then of course it's also a good criteria list to use it to convince people of yeah. things that maybe aren't so scientifically sound so we incorporated some ethical considerations um, and uh, elements as well to make sure that it can be misused yeah that's interesting uh, can you explain then how uh, you can prevent that so so what are these considerations or or how would you make sure that it will not be misused or abused for example um, in literature you will often find uh, an emphasis on emotional responses with people of course this this leads to engagement if if <laughs> if, if you have a response you will be engaged but of course, it's an easy way to convince people of, of a certain ideology or agenda. You can say it's it's uh, to to achieve something good, but there should be made a difference between um, science as a method and science as an ideology. And if you really want to focus on the scientific base, then if you want to work with emotional responses to engage people, you have to consider um, how you create a safe environment so that it's not uh, that you you evoke these responses so that people will start to behave in a certain way. It should lead to yeah. reflection. And of course, um, we added this dimension. The unfortunate thing is people can always strip off the things they don't like, mm -hmm. but at least we, we did our part and tried to do it as good as we, we could by incorporating these uh, lines of thought and, and by urging to, to think about this, that like if you want to cause an emotional response uh, to create an openness that you should not make misuse of this openness to then define what kind of decisions should come out of it. Mm -hmm. Because um, when it comes to, to values and, and uh, actual decisions in the real world, there should be an equal equalness between different people. And it's very important to uh, preserve this openness, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a question of being uh, transparent and clear about this is what you can and what you also how you should use it. But in the end, if I hear it well, it's it's up to the the science communicator, whoever that is at that moment. Yes. Whether they actually um, comply with all the elements of the framework or yeah. not. So the the criteria are formed in questions, so that people have to think for themselves first. Did I think uh, about this element? To can I verify? That, that I thought about it in, included and also which is emphasized in the tool we developed based on the criteria that you can't separate the dimensions so you can't just say I focus on the communication elements and make mm -hmm. it engaging if, if you want to bring a good science story the scientific foundations the impact uh, if you if you use technology it should be considered as well because they work together and if you would just focus on communication and say yeah i don't have a background in science so i i i um, put it aside yeah then the danger is the quality might also not be very strong so if you don't have a background we encourage people to include somebody in the process that has a background in science to ask these critical questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Um, you described uh, the, uh, the literature review that you did, systematic literature review, and then creating the framework. Um, 
Have you done anything more? Are there other steps in the research process that you did with the framework or is this the end uh, result? So um, when the tool was developed uh, within the Parcos project, it was also uh, mentioned that, of course, it's still very basic and you, you can't, of course, prevent people from misusing it. So in my PhD, I go one step further and I used actually some um, empirical observations by functioning in the, the science community, be it at, at meetings, working with science communicators, but also going to conferences, see where they put their emphasis on by adding uh, a very critical and, and a reflexive part where I, I really go more in depth into these kind of dimensions. Like uh, to give an example, on the cards, it's recommended to refer to primary sources, which is standard. It's evident if you watch social media, mm -hmm. for example, Twitter, you see very often people saying, yeah, do you have a primary source confirming this? Um, but of course, um, a researcher knows that um, not everything is, is in a publication, of course. Uh, first, you, you need funding to have a publication. Also, things that... Uh, fail. They sometimes are not uh, in a publication. Sometimes we didn't point our direction to uh, a path yet. So this also has an influence on the publications you, you generate. Mm -hmm. So it's good that you can say, is there a primary and, and scientific so a source? But it's also good to realize that this also has its limitation because science is always uh, evolving. And it's good to be aware and understand how this is working. Um, so these observations and, and uh, things I encountered, I tried to include them to, to um, make the dimensions even more in-depth besides the tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, what, what is typical in, in research uh, uh, as well is that sometimes you think like, oh, I should have done this differently. Uh, I, I, I learned something at the end that if I had that knowledge in the beginning, I would do it differently. Do you have anything like that that you say, oh, if I would start again now, the same research, this or that uh, didn't go as well as planned or, or I would like to improve it in this or that way? Well, I actually tried tried to incorporate this uh, throughout my PhD trajectory. So initially when I did uh, the quality search and I made a framework, it's very impressive. If you present this to people, they'll be like, whoa, this looks like really good and sound. But then if you have made the review, you know that there are still some translations you have to make, um, things that will have an impact on what you generate. And I thought this was kind of problematic. I wanted to leave an openness. And you can say, of course, people know you generate a framework. This is not the same as reality. Mm -hmm. um, but in practice, people will just start using a framework as a checklist. And mm -hmm. uh, so that's why um, when these concerns came up, we were thinking, okay, how do we take this tool into account when we now are developing a tool? So we try to incorporate ethical elements and leave an openness and uh, because I still had the feeling that it still has its shortcomings of course because it's very basic people will not use uh, a tool a card set that's so overly complex or mm -hmm. nuanced that that you <laughs> you don't you 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 don't know anymore what what's like the the basic principles so I added the the anthropological side as well to add value to that. So whenever I see something, I think that was initially not 
could have been different, I tried to, to tackle that by thinking how in this new phase I, I could do it immediately instead of thinking maybe if I should redo it again. Mm-hmm. I think everything has its value, even sometimes things that, that uh, aren't best or, or maybe if, if you would discover something would be failing. But then if you think about how can I translate this into something to, to show something I learned or something that should be taken into account when people do these kind of things. Yeah, so it's it, that also means that the framework uh, has been evolving, but also maybe will still be evolving. Yes, so um, we did face validity checks with science communicators. We also tried them with students, and then you get feedback. So the cards had like a lot of iteration processes. Mm-hmm. But that's also something um, I've, I found in my research. Of course, this also has its, has its limits. So it's always good to have something tangible and and have like a, a basic something to offer to people, but then also to go like a step further and go more in depth. And then sometimes I get the comments like, yeah, but is it not too complex? Also, for example, um, discussing science with uh, people who don't have a background in science, is it not too abstract or too complex? And I have to say, I had quite some conversations with uh, critical science communicators, and they all also believe that uh, it's possible to understand how science works. And this should be already a good base to evaluate information. So it's not Mm -hmm. because you don't have a background in um, biology that it wouldn't be possible to read and ask some critical questions or think about, "Ah, okay, so uh, this is... Uh, funded based upon this research, this was inquired, but maybe there's no attention paid to this and that you can contextualize it. Mm -hmm. So I do believe that even though these things are complex, it's possible to have some some basic skills to, to contextualize and to better understand. So... I'd like to now take the conversation a little bit broader. Eh? We've mm-hmm. heard about your research, uh, the, the outcomes, which I understand is mainly the, the framework and then which is materialized in this card set. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we talk about uh, this positive digital society or the impact on society, uh, the first question is who will benefit from your research, from the results of your research? Uh, well, the focus is on science storytellers or science intermediaries. But to me, the the ones who would benefit most would be the public mm-hmm. because for them it's more difficult to pinpoint these kind of things because they're not insiders. So even though we try to reach the, the people in between and, and researchers, I do think the most the group that would have the most benefit would be the public because they have no say or no impact in what science intermediaries do, mm-hmm. or they also don't have the, the terminology or the, the, the background knowledge to sometimes pinpoint these problems. And I do think it also benefits, of course, science intermediaries by um, looking more broadly at things and working with people with different backgrounds to learn more about different facets of, of science storytelling. Yeah, and with the science intermediaries, uh, can you give again some examples who those uh, For example, are? media professionals like journalists mm-hmm. or 
museum educators, a guide in, in a museum is also a science intermediary, somebody translating yeah. scientific uh, research. Yeah. Um, but it can be a researcher as well that wants to come out and present some findings that they have, mm-hmm. that they found important. Yeah. When uh, you say, and you talked earlier about misinformation, uh, that this is a tool that can help to counter that, and in that sense also um, uh, indeed benefits the, the, mm-hmm. the audience. Um, and on the other hand, you said, okay, well, we cannot prevent uh, abuse uh, or misuse mm-hmm. uh, when they just leave out the ethical aspects and that just use it as a, as a propaganda tool. Mm-hmm. So how can the, the end users, the audience uh, that, that reads these science stories, um, how, how do they know that this is a quality, uh, that your framework has been used, uh, for example, and this is of high quality? Well, the cards are publicly available, so anybody can can look at the cards if they want to and and go through these different dimensions. Um, but of course, it comes a bit down to integrity that you presume that that uh, somebody, mm-hmm. you you. I mean, if somebody has bad intentions, there's nothing you can do against it except make sure that you have yourself a bit of know-how on on thinking about things. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to really tackle misuse of things but that's also something uh, i would like to put here on misinformation so um, it is a problem but what i find interesting if i i make observations by people focusing on misinformation i don't think they are they are always um, pursuing the question that they keep in mind for example there's this idea that um, scientific illiteracy is a problem So um, I, I heard a science communicator say, yeah, uh, we need to, to increase scientific literacy because it's really at a terrible level and that's why so much uh, misinformation is possible. But then you could say there have never been so many people to school. Scientific literacy automatically would have to be higher than in mm-hmm. any era before mm-hmm. So many people studying at a university, so many people going to, to high school. So how can illiteracy be the problem if, if you would say there is an increase? Yeah. I think then the, the problem would be, if, if you would go more in depth, that uh, a lot of science communicators find it problematic that people don't trust science. Mm-hmm. And to, to also highlight this, when you talk about misinformation and people who, who find it um, something very problematic they say yeah people need to think more critically but there are some people who would just um, reproduce what is the the main scientific narrative these people also would not be necessarily thinking critically but it's because in the newspapers that they would repeat it and would say yeah but this is what science says but that's not the same as critical thinking Mm -hmm. but you don't consider this group as a problem in in a misinformation while they might also be mis- misinformed yeah. um, so i think by asking these questions you come to something very interesting that maybe what you sometimes are pers- what you sometimes are pursuing is not necessarily what you think you are pursuing and i think that's especially when it, we are talking about misinformation that there should be more internal thinking about it instead of just saying we should do something against it. Also, why are people sharing misinformation? Very often, it is believed that they just, uh, that their scientific reasoning is flawed. I would say if I observe uh, social media, 
that it has more to do with values. I think if you would debunk some things, it would not have an impact at all because it doesn't align with how people feel or mm -hmm. what their values are. And they are very motivated of, of sharing these things because they have fears, because, because they have beliefs. And mm -hmm. um, then you can um, pose the question like, uh, for example, fact-checking, who, who does it benefit and who does it focus on? Because I think most people who would be interested in fact-checks are actually the people you wouldn't consider uh, as a problematic group. Mm -hmm. They are already open to and, and they already have a lot of faith in the work of journalists and also. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's some need for fundamental questioning and, and looking at the basics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, do you think, yeah, when you talk about science illiteracy and also media literacy is also mentioned mm. often as, as a solution to mm. misinformation, would your framework also be uh, useful to include in, in uh, curricula uh, for media literacy or science literacy? Well, in a basic sense, it does, because it's a very broad range of criteria. For example, um, saying that things should be transparent, yeah. That's a <laughs> that, that's relevant in 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 many contexts. But for example, who is to decide what scientific literacy is? Is it reading a graph? Because you could say that qualitative researchers don't necessarily have a background in statistics. Should we then consider them scientific illiterate? Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say so because they are even scientists. So I think there should be more thinking about. If we talk about scientific literacy, what do we specifically mean? And the framework maybe has some broad criteria, but if somebody, example, for example, would say, yeah, I, I want to communicate more about uh, statistical know-how and think people are too illiterate in, in how this kind of functions, the, the criteria will only help you so much, of course, because it's very broadly defined. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's not sufficient, uh, if I hear it, uh, to... Um... You need to adjust it to your field of expertise. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, you talked also already a little bit about values, uh, mm -hmm. in, in this sense, from, from the, the people that uh, consume information or read uh, the, the science stories. Uh, but also values are very present in, in research activities and, and therefore in the outcomes. Are there any values, ethical values, human values, you already mentioned the ethical aspect of your framework that you also included in your research activities? Yes, um, I think mainly sometimes the lack of ethical considerations. Also, I think there's often a focus on procedures and not ethics, which is not the same um, something. And this is really personal. Mm -hmm. For example, I don't like it that some people put on Twitter. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm communicating in my own name, not as a professional in this or that. Or uh, when I, I uh, retweet this, it's not that I necessarily think the same. Yeah, it's nice to say that, and it's, that's good for procedural coverage. But of course, when people think highly of somebody of some, or somebody has as, as like a high authority profile and somebody reads it, of course, it will have, have like a, a, a repercussion and mm -hmm. a certain impact. People will not, uh, because you say... That, that you're now not talking like a scientist, put this here, make, uh, like, detach yeah, <laughs> you yeah. from this function. You cannot separate, yeah, separate so, it. So, so you could say, procedure-wise, it's good. Ethical-wise, I don't know. Maybe sometimes there's 
there comes like a sacrifice and a, a big responsibility by being in a certain position where you should really think carefully about what you say and how you say. And I know it's not easy because you also have an opinion and you also want to be a part of decision making. But mm-hmm. I think there should be more um, reflected upon this. Yeah. And I think like a value I find very important that's leaving an openness, which I also try to do in the card set, for example, and also in the more anthropological part of my research, because you need to make sure that you hear different voices. And even if you would say, yeah, but they are dangerous or wrong, if, if, you, um, if you not at least want to hear what's going around, it's very difficult also to tackle it. And people have their own way of starting to talk or share things. So um, I think openness is something very uh, mm-hmm. important and valuable. Yeah, 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 yeah. okay. Um, it's also interesting to, to reflect on uh, the future and, and on yeah, what if this research wasn't uh, done? Eh? What if you didn't do this research? Um, what, what do you think that uh, a future society looks like without your uh, framework? Mm-hmm. Well, the evident answer is if uh, everything would be the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I would say um, I don't think it's the framework that will um, make necessarily a better change because you can use a framework in many ways. I do think then the cards would urge more a bit to reflect about things. So I like it. I like the cards much more than, than just uh, the framework. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I would say, I think the, that the, the changes I would see if people would actually take this at heart, that things would be more nuanced and maybe the focus would be less on uh, engaging people to build a bridge, but also as the question like, okay, I want people to trust in science, but is the science so trustworthy? Because I also notice that very, like the, the science intermediary communication label people can call themselves a science communicator. Mm-hmm. So everybody can can say, I'm one. Yeah. And uh, that actually ha- has something very dangerous because how how would you know, okay, these people really takes the science close at heart and is not just trying to bring an engaging story. And, and, and mislead yeah. uh, or misrepresent. Uh, so I also try to make... A di- um, a difference in the cards between science communication and communication about science, because it can be that somebody's communicating about scientific data that's, that was presented, but doesn't necessarily care about the background or has a lot of know-how on it and just wants to make it engaging. The, very often you see that this process is very fragmented. You have somebody who's just concerned with the data, somebody who's just only caring about the, the engaging of people. Mm-hmm. And I really think there would be a big difference if people would have interest in the other dimensions as well and explore this. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's what you mentioned in the beginning as well, like really like integrated. All the elements of yes. the framework are mm-hmm. important. Uh, yeah, that's, I think, an important lesson to, mm. to take. Uh, yeah, and, and, and somebody shouldn't be discouraged because they don't have a background in it. Because when we, we did this with students, very often they're like, yeah, but who am I uh, to, to say that I can check scientific foundations or this or that? Yeah, that's true. And, and if you would really be in a professional position to do it, we really urge people to to 
cooperate and with somebody that's a professional in a dimension, but mm -hmm. it shouldn't discourage you to at least ask these questions and think about it because you will also evolve by doing so. Yeah, 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 mm. yeah Okay, um, and yeah, the final question, I think this, this is an important one um, because a lot of research is being done in universities, uh, in, in, in European projects, mm -hmm. and, and there it's very important that it doesn't stay within this uh, consortium or, or within the university, that it goes out in the real world in order to make this, this positive impact. Mm -hmm. So how will you make sure that the, the research outcome, the research results will be actually used uh, and really create this impact in the real world? Mm -hmm. Well, um, first, before going deeper into this, um, we even have an impact dimension in the cards, but I'm not a very big fan of the word impact because mm -hmm. it's very intervention oriented. And intervention means also chaos. If you if you say I want to, to bring changes, this is something that requires a lot of energy of you and also of society. So I, I, I do prefer the, the term like contribution. It leaves it more open as to mm -hmm. whether it's something that should uh, become a thing or not. And I think um, that in the far future, contribution-wise, that... Um, wait. Um, yeah, so the question is, how will you make sure that your research results then contribute indeed uh, to society? Well, um, I think by now exploring how these kind of criteria could become a part of the educational curriculum, mm -hmm. because um, even though implicitly it is supposed that, that for example, students uh, have these criteria at heart, it's not necessarily present in, in, uh, in um, the curriculum. Um, for example, you can have students uh, in communication sciences, depending on the, the, the pathway they are taking. They don't necessarily come into contact with what is science communication exactly. While we find that it is very important that communicators, um, especially if they have interest in science communication, would have a certain amount of criteria in, in, uh, in, in, in their head, mm -hmm. uh, in, in their backpack. So then it's interesting to think how can we integrate this in some educational courses perhaps or maybe if, if uh, outside of, of uh, an educational context how can you um, incorporate these criteria in in a way that is accessible to people because not everybody will be interested in, in working with cards or encounter the cards so that's something that in the future we will be thinking about and seeing how we how we can do this to contribute from out our research. Yeah, okay, that sounds wonderful. And uh, I hope that indeed uh, your framework will help us to learn more about science uh, and, and in a good way with uh, a good quality. And also uh, I hear an openness, uh, which is a very important uh, value. Thank you, Priscilla, uh, for being here at the Digisoc podcast. It was uh, very interesting. And thanking you again for inviting me. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digisoc podcast, in which we share research and insights from the KU Leuven Digital Society Institute. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Priscilla van Even about her research on science communication. Her work is just a small part of a larger conversation on how we can create a positive digital society. 
Be sure to join us next time for more discussions with Digisoc researchers. And until then, stay curious and critical about the digital world around us.